glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, let's stand if you would. Honor the reading of God's Word, Jude verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Thank you. you may be seated. We'll give you tonight uh, three things from these three verses, one point per verse, beginning in verse 8. Let me just give us kind of a, a quick review of what we looked at last time uh, in, in verse 7 especially. Uh, excuse me, going back to verse 5, we ended last week's message with Jude exposing these, these men and exposing them by comparing them to some, some groups in the Old Testament. So in, in, it's interesting what's going to happen, verses 5 through 7, he's going to take them back to the Old Testament to look at the folks that come out of Egypt, the angels that left their, left their first estate, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He looks at the collective. So it was a collective group of people, a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. Those that believed not were destroyed. There was a collective group of angels that rebelled against their position that God gave them and were cast down and reserved in chains. There was a collective group in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then when we get into verse 11, he's going to point out individuals. So he's using groups that God has judged in time past and comparing these men to that. And then he's going to get into some individual men who represent what these men stand for. And if you want a good picture of false religion, by the time we get done here with this in Book of Jude, you're going to have it. I think many times we, we get, let me just say this, there's been a tremendous push for a number of years now, uh, and I think Satan has always worked at this, but especially since the new translations of the Bible came out there in, in the early 1900s, been a tremendous push for ecumenicism for all denominations of supposedly Christianity. The assumption is that all denominations are Christian. Ecumenicism assumes that every denomination is genuinely Christian, and that's not true. I understand there's a difference between a Christian denomination and a cult, but a hairbreadth many times. 
And I think it's very interesting. As I was studying this tonight, uh, Jude, when I read it, it exposes Roman Catholicism right and left. And I thought this tonight. I think, I believe Roman Catholicism was the brainchild of Gnosticism. If you go back and study the Gnosticism that was creeping in, and it's not called that per se in First John, but the enlightenment of certain people with a knowledge that was withheld from others, not by revelation, but by special, by special unique revelation for the enlightened ones. You think of every cult, there are certain people in there that are the enlightened ones, right? And that's because Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. May I say, if you have the Spirit of God and you have a Bible, you're enlightened. <laughs> Period. You don't, you don't have to, it's not as though, and we need to understand this, in, our, in, in the local church, in God's churches, pastors and teachers are not more enlightened than the rest of the Christians. It's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, it's not. It's not that pastors and teachers are more enlightened. They are gifted to communicate in a way that others are not, gifted to teach, but they don't have more light. I have 66 books in my Bible. you got 66 in yours. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart. You have the Holy Spirit in yours. And he gifts us differently, but the gifting has not to do with enlightenment. That's where you get into what's called um, uh, Nicolaitanism in the book of Revelation where there was a, a, a distinction between the clergy and the laity speaking of enlightenment. That supposedly the clergy were more enlightened and closer to God than the laity. That's not Bible. <laughs> In fact, Paul went to great lengths under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make sure that every believer would have the light that he had and not withholding it from them. So I started to say this. I believe the false teachers that were creeping in and you read about what they believed and how they behaved in the churches and the apostates that were creeping in, the, 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 the birth of that gave the Roman Catholic Church. And I, I really believe that's so. And then what we've had from Roman Catholicism is, yes, there was a protest and I would say this, there were certain people that inside Roman Catholicism got exposed to the Bible and got saved, but out of Roman Catholicism has been birthed so many of what we call denominations. Many of the Protestant denominations are nothing more than Catholicism repackaged. That's just the truth. And maybe for a time there was a great deal of of conflict and some purity in some of those people that broke away. The longer we remove from the Reformation period, the more the Protestant churches become like Mother Church. My grandpa preached this for years, and he was spot on. You have Protestant denominations today counseling their, their, their church parishioners to go back to the mother church. My understanding is that Anglican churches have been even known to tell their parishioners, you need to be making your way back to Roman Catholicism. And I do not believe for a moment Roman Catholicism has ever been Christian. Not from day one. Has it had people in it that became Christians? Yes, but then they got persecuted and burned at the stake and hanged and stretched on racks and all sorts of things. You say, is this a message about Catholicism? It's not. I just believe you can see what Jude is talking about all over Catholicism. It's interesting to me, today uh, to me in studying. I was studying about people and trying to get some illustrations for people who teach us to rebuke the devil. You hear that term. You need to rebuke the devil. That is as unbiblical as it gets. We'll see that tonight. You are not and I am not to rebuke the devil Uh, He is more powerful than us. We can oppose him. We can withstand him. We can resist him. But it's God's job to rebuke him. Michael the archangel didn't even rebuke the devil. And so you and I aren't supposed to either. And yet, can anybody think of who may have written a book by that title, Rebuking the Devil? The good Pope himself. 
A recent publication by Pope Francis is rebuking the devil. And it put my thought process on how much Catholicism is exposed here. And here's why this is needful. How many of you know there is a push among even fundamental Baptists in some circles to acknowledge and accept Catholics as Christians? To acknowledge and accept Mormons as Christians? Now, I don't know of a lot of Baptists promoting that, but there is a, it is becoming more popular all the time to say, we wouldn't want to judge, and they claim to love Jesus like we do, and it, you know, as long as they're not denying He's the Son of God, we must embrace them. What began as ecumenicism is now turning into pluralism, and you can study those terms. Pluralism says we're not only going to bring together Christian denominations, we're going to bring together the religions of the world under one banner, and you know who behind, is behind that, not the Lord, amen? And so you say, where is this going tonight? I'm saying this ideology was creeping in. Jude understood there is a distinction between those who are truly preserved in Jesus Christ and those who are pretending to be in Christ. And he's, he is bringing this to light because it's one of Satan's chief tools in deceiving is counterfeiting. You can see that throughout Scripture. He counterfeits. He counterfeits the Trinity of God in the book of Revelation. When you have the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, he, he counterfeits the Trinity. He counterfeits the resurrection when the beast supposedly raises from the dead. He is a counterfeiter all the way through. He has counterfeited the Bible. No doubt he's counterfeited church. And so it's important for us to get a hold of what's being said here tonight to be able to recognize. I don't believe for one moment Jude's motive here was to uh, berate or he didn't set out trying. He wasn't trying to peg his enemies. He is seeking to give information to God's people by the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to help them defend against error and therefore contend for the faith. Now, verse 8. Our point in verse 8 is that there is a characterization given. Jude gives a characterization. So he's just talked about the the folks that the unbelievers that came out of Egypt. Not all that came out of Egypt were, were saved. Some were unbelievers. He's talked about the angels that left their first estate and are now reserved in everlasting chains. And he's talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, three types of sin that he dealt with there. The disbelief of God's word, uh, the, the uh, despite for God's will and his worship, and then the defilement of God's way. We see that in those three things. And he's going to reference those three things again in these verses here we look at tonight. Uh, but in verse 8, he begins to characterize these men he's talked about. So again, we, we're dealing with these ungodly men in verse 4 that have crept in unawares. They're like those of old that have been destroyed. They're going to be destroyed. They're, they're already condemned. Then in verse 8, he says, likewise. So he's saying, just like the angels, just like the unbelievers, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, likewise also, and what does he call these men? These filthy dreamers. We'll talk about that point in just a moment. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He's giving us some clues as to how to identify these kind of men. They're called filthy dreamers. What do you need to be to be having a dream? Asleep. And I want us to think for a moment, why would he use the term a dreamer? By the way, when you look up the definition of a dreamer there, it is in contrast. It's from the word dream, and it's specifically in contrast to men that God gave a vision to. The dream mentioned here is specifically the kind of vision you have when you are asleep. These are men that are spiritually not awake, they are not spiritually alert to the things of God. They are filthy 
Not just dreamers, filthy dreamers. The description he gives them, first of all, is filthy. Uh, in your Bible, that's in italics, which means that very word, there's one word in Greek, we get two words in English to describe that one word. And uh, I, people like to mock the italicized words in the King James Bible. Some of those people probably fit right in the category we're preaching on tonight. Uh, nothing will give you a, a, a sense of the integrity, and that's the word I I so relate to the King James Bible in contrast to every other English translation is its integrity. The integrity in choosing the manuscripts it came from, the integrity in the method that was used to translate it, the the integrity of the committee of men that said this is the process it must go through, and even the integrity of such things as italicized words. They wanted you to understand we translate word for word. We translate uh, by what's called formal translation, but sometimes... One Greek word turns into two or three English words. And if there's one Greek word and two English words, and if it's a word we felt needed to be added as far as to give the context as you would understand the Greek, we're going to put it in italics so that you understand what the translators did there. And so here you have the term filthy dreamers. I just want to make that point while we're here. And the word filthy deals with the fact they were sensual. These are sensual men. That is certainly borne out in the text of Scripture. Uh, They're not just coming up with harmless dreams. They're filthy dreamers. They have a sensual motivation, and it seems to me their dreams are rooted in their filthiness. They're dreaming. You think about what is a dream? Okay, what is a dream? A dream is a perception of the mind that is not a reality. And if you start plugging this in, there are men today who teach of a Jesus that you won't find in the Bible, but they dreamed him up. They have a Jesus that some, by their own admission, I read today, of the so-called preacher Benny Hinn, and he says that Jesus stood in his bedroom one night. He also said that he is a God walking... He said, I am a little God walking through this earth. Little G, God. He's a filthy dreamer. That's unkind. It's It adds up. And so uh, here's someone who says, we command God. We He has established a way that we tell him... And he moves at our words. It's the word faith movement. It's satanic. It's devilish. Filthy dreamers, meaning they are living in a realm that's not reality. Their concepts are not based on truth. They're based on their own imagination. Their concept of salvation, their concept of Christ, their concept of themselves. Uh, how many believe this? There are men who, who have truly convinced themselves that they are involved in a ministry of helping people, healing people, They're living in a dream. It's not a reality, meaning they're living a false reality. They are are men who live according to their imaginations. We are supposed to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Not these men. Their dream is their doctrine. I mean, don't miss me or not. How many of you know there are men who preach not the Bible but the visions they have? And some do it blatantly, saying, I had a vision last night. Others do it much more cleverly. They say, well, I know the Bible says this, and then they start preaching their take on whatever they want to preach instead of saying, this is what God says. How many ever have ever read somebody's perception of who the Lord Jesus is? And you think, where did you get that? Dreamers, that's where. They dreamed it up. Imaginations. They concocted it in their own mind. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere. I got news for you. You'll not find any place in the Bible where you and I are commanded to rebuke Satan. 
It's not our Lord did it, but he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we're not told to do that. And so then these men are sensual sleepers. That's what they are, men living in a false reality concocted in their own minds, filthy dreamers. Number two, he speaks not only of their description as filthy dreamers, but of their defilement. He says in verse 8, likewise also. So just like these people we've just talked about, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. That's touching back to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll find this. False teachers are immoral. (laughs) False doctrine and immorality are inseparable. You cannot separate false doctrine and immorality. You say, well, what about when there's immorality in Baptist churches? Somewhere something's wrong. You know what? Some immoral men had crept in. No church, including Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, is exempt from immoral, filthy dreamers creeping in creeping in with their ideologies that are not based on God's Word, but of their own filthy thought life, their only things they dream up. These are filthy dreamers that defile the flesh, men who are given to sensuality, men who are immoral. So they're men that are involved in adultery and pornography and fornication and, and, uh, and abusing children. This kind of thing goes hand in glove with false doctrine. I believe this. You scratch the surface of any cult, or any church that's not guarded her doctrine, you will find immorality somewhere because it is encoded in the DNA of humanity and the only thing to pull it into check is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And what Jude is saying is to earnestly contend for the faith, we must identify these kind of men. And uh, again, none of us is, is exempt from these kind of men creeping in, so our, our defense is to earnestly contend for the faith. The true gospel does not permit immorality it saves you from it 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 pulls you out of it it empowers you to overcome it not succumb to it and so these are men who are filthy dreamers defiling the flesh to defile means to sully or taint to contaminate ceremonially ceremonially or morally how many of you know this we'll go into any kind of detail but generally speaking not only does false doctrine look the other way to immorality, it actually incorporates immorality into its religious practice. It incorporates... Idolatry always incorporates immorality as part of worship. That's why the Sodomites built their house right next to the temple. You find that in the Bible. Right next to the house of God. They want to take over what is supposed to be given to God. So these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Then the Bible says, so that's... That's linking them to Sodom and Gomorrah. But they not only defile the flesh, the Bible says they despise dominion. What does that mean? Well, Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 2, uh, verse 11, I believe it is. Let's turn over there, if you would, very quickly. He uses the same word in English. It's a different, a little bit different meaning. And so when you put the two words despise in, in Peter and despise in Jude, the two different Greek words that both translate despise in English, but the definition is just a little different. So you combine those definitions, you understand what's being said here. Second Peter chapter 2, uh, in verse 10, But chiefly men that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, or we just dealt with that, and despise government. So Peter says they despise government. That's exact Greek word is the word dominion. It's the same thing. They despise authority. They hate any kind of established... I mean, have you heard people say something like, I don't believe in established religion. That doesn't mean that person's an apostate, but it most likely means they've been influenced by one. Because the apostate hates authority. 
It doesn't matter if it's the sheriff. It doesn't matter if it's the pastor. It doesn't matter if it's the dad. It doesn't matter if it's the mom. It doesn't matter if it's an authority. I hate it. I'm going to tell you something. The, the, the attitude toward authority in the hippie movement of the 1960s was coupled with a religious rebellion and a move of apostates. You can be sure of it. Apostasy had been creeping in uh, to universities, Bible uh, schools of theology and so forth, and it all goes together. There's a despite for dominion, a hatred of authority. May I say this? How many of you say, well, in our day, there's a good reason to be suspect of authority. Most authorities are corrupt. Do you actually believe that tonight? Do you think most parents are abusers of their children? Or do you think Satan loves to point out those parents abuse their children and so now all children have a right to rebel against parents? That's the way the devil works. That pastor was a bad pastor. That uh, I don't even believe all politicians are corrupt. I don't believe it. The world, you would think so, but I don't believe they all are. Sadly, I think many of them are. Even so, they're still an authority. Amen? And the fact is the apostate despises. The word despise means this. Uh, in Jude, it means to set aside. Meaning, I don't, I don't care about that. I don't care about the authority. I don't care what, what, what they think. To set aside, to disesteem, uh, to neutralize or to violate, to cast off, to despise, to disannul, to frustrate, to bring to naught, to reject. Can we not see, if you watch the news, in our culture, this is the attitude of the culture now. So then what does that tell us? The apostates are having their day in the culture. They are the influencers of our culture. It doesn't matter if you're talking about civilly. There is a general, we don't care about the police. We, don't want, we want to uh, deregulate. We want to remove, defund the police. That is the attitude that's being talked about here. Uh, we, are, we are sadly in our country, we have hosts of people who are that close to being on, uh, in anarchy on the right and on the left. You know why? Because they despise government. May I say this? I understand don't ever give government the place you'd give God. That would be sin. Government is not God. But it is not spiritual and it is not righteous to despise government. I am preaching in North Idaho. I understand that. It's still a sin to despise government. Even if they're corrupt. I understand we have some... Very wicked men. And that's, it's just not talking about calling out the wickedness of leadership. John the Baptist was not a railer. He was just a preacher. It is the role of Christians to stand for truth. And if a, if a, if a leader does something wicked, this is not talking about refusing to say that was wicked. It, it is wicked. But it doesn't, to have an attitude of, now I'm going to disesteem those in authority. They're not gonna, we don't believe in, in authority, no government. That is the attitude of an apostate. And so then it works that way in the home. Rebellion has been promoted by apostates. From uh, of, They promote children rebelling against parents, wives rebelling against husbands, uh, workers rebelling against their employers, uh, us rebelling against our government. That is not of God. That is satanic. Rebellion is satanic, not of God. When our authorities are wicked, we have recourse with our Lord. We have prayer. We have uh, obedience to God rather than man. We have a lot of recourse despite... And evil speaking are not part of our recourse. So despising Jude means to disesteem, cast off, despise, disannul, frustrate, bring the not, or reject. Despising Peter means to think against, uh, to disp- disesteem, or despise. Okay? And so uh, these apostates despise dominion, 
despise government. Okay, uh, And so their description is given. They are filthy dreamers. Their defilement, they defile the flesh. They despise dominion, despise government. In letter D, we see their defamation. What tool do they primarily use to accomplish their purposes? Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Dignities would be the people who have the dominion, people who are in positions of authority and governance over others. And so they speak evil. Now, here's where you, can, you and I, can, if we're not careful, don't take the Bible to interpret the Bible. If, if speaking evil means I never say something about someone and pointing out they're doing wrong, then Jude's breaking his own rules. He's not speaking evil of the apostates. They were evil, and he's speaking the truth. <laughs> speaking evil here has to, has, carries the idea of using slander, using slander to defame and accuse, meaning I'm constantly saying something evil about another in order to get you to join me in dismissing them. Uh, how many of us have seen, uh, I'll give you a good example. We watch Supreme Court nominations go before Congress and certain accusations rise up against them to get them set aside, only to find out later some of those accusations were patently false. Then why were they ever said? To turn the mind of people against that person to get them set aside so they cannot have a position of authority. And this is the way the apostate works. He uses his tongue to get you to think evil against an authority. Now, not all authority is blameless. Not all authority, authority is not to be trusted as God is trusted. But the, the, the apostate goes to work using his tongue, slandering dominion, slandering those in authority, speaking evil. The word speak evil here, the two words together means to vilify. All right, and to vilify is where you use slander in order to, to, to damage or, or ruin someone's reputation. So to vilify, especially, or specifically and especially to speak impiously, can mean to blaspheme or to defame someone, to rail on someone, and to revile. One of the illustrations in the Bible of speaking evil of an authority is when the children of Israel accused Moses of bringing them out in the desert to kill them. There were, and by the way, there was a man named Korah who led that charge. Said, you take Moses, you take too much upon yourself. Here's what he was saying to Moses. You know what he's saying about Moses? You want to be a king over us, you're a dictator. Now, why did Korah say that? Because Moses was mean. I mean, he was, he smote rocks and stuff, right? He was a rough one. The Bible says he was the meekest man on earth. Meaning, Moses was the last guy that would have picked himself to take that leadership. And Korah said, you take too much upon yourself. You look out for somebody that's always accusing every authority in their life of being some kind of a tyrant and a dictator. You found you a devilish person when you find somebody like that. You find somebody, every authority in my life has always mistreated me. My parents mistreated me. My pastor mistreated me. My Sunday school teachers mistreated me. My school teachers mistreated me. Authorities are just bad. I, I, I. Ain't nobody had that bad luck. You may have had bad parents, but not all your authorities were rotten. Amen. It's a preach right here for a little bit. Speaking evil is they use their tongue to slander dignities, people in authority. They use statements to get to malign that person's character, excuse me, to defame them, to cause you to disrespect 
and dismiss the person in your life that you're supposed to be listening to and obeying and so forth. And so then their defamation, apostates use their tongue to defame others specifically and especially. And by the way, this kind of speaking evil is forbidden for all of us, for anybody. It may be needful to point out as Judas doing someone's evil that they have done. But the fact is, it is always wrong to slander someone in order to defame them. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what the apostate does. They make the attack very personal. It wasn't... Um, Moses, we we see you got upset. It it was a very personal pointed attack that was false. Accused Moses of of taking on too much, of leading him into the wilderness to die. And by the way, who was only too ready to step into Moses' room and take the leadership? That was Korah. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? There are those today who've spent their lives building careers, defaming people in authority to weasel their way in. I'm talking about especially in the political world, it happens that way. So Jude's pointing out there are men like this who creep into churches. And so we must see what they look like. So when we meet one, we say, ah, you know what? You got sheep's clothes, but you got teeth sticking out. Those teeth are defaming teeth. And so then they use defamation speaking evil of others as their primary tool. If the only way we can build people up is by having to tear others down, something's wrong. Amen? I believe as James talks about biting and devouring one another with our words. That's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, We've watched this happen. The Bible will talk about this. Lord willing, preach on this on Sunday night soon, on how we answer people. The Bible says we're not to render railing for railing. So here's what happens. Somebody, uh, I'll give you a good example of railing or speaking evil. Um, you have, uh, I'll go back years, some of you wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. There was a time when there were some folks that were in this church and they never joined the church and they left the church. And one such person, uh, a lady, felt it her need as soon as she left to call every woman in the church and try to explain to her why she needed to leave this church. And when that method didn't succeed completely, then the word was put out that I was trying to sell the church building, take the money, and leave town. Now, at that time, the church building wasn't even for sale. <laughs> but there was one right on down the street down here that was for sale, and it looked like it in the newspaper. That's called slander, right? Now, I believe, based on the word of God, we're not to respond with railing. Those are the facts. I didn't make any of that. It's all just facts. What you could do is say, well... You want to play this game? Now I'll start telling this, 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 this about you. Now I'll malign your character. No, I believe this. Someone with that disposition, someone with that attitude will malign their own character in time. And if you know, my point is this. We do not overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. Be loyal to the truth. It's not true. We move on because, I. by the way, I believe this. You're going to serve God. Somebody's going to speak evil about you. Someone's going to accuse you of doing wrong when you're doing right. Well, what do you do when you've been accused of doing wrong but you're doing right? Keep doing right. Don't ignore or pretend like they didn't do wrong. It's still wrong, but we don't repay evil with evil. All that free of charge. We'll move on to the next point. Their characterization. They're described as filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Let me read to you very quickly Second Peter 2, verses 10 all the way through 12. I read Second Peter 2, 10. I want to go ahead and read the whole passage. 2 Peter 2, 10, 11, and 12. It says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, 
They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So that's their characterization. Now, in number 2, in verse 9 of Jude, we see a comparison contrast made. So a characterization is given, verse 8, a comparison contrast is made in verse 9. Peter just did the exact same thing in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11. But he says in verse uh, 9, so verse 8 again, Jude, uh, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not, we might say dare not, durst not, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now get a hold of this. Uh, Michael didn't say, Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go around and just start um, railing on the devil. Just going around and we're going to make this a very personal attack. Why not? He's the devil. So he gives us a very a very um, extreme example. He First he uses Michael the archangel. He doesn't pick another preacher. He doesn't pick a pastor. He doesn't pick an apostle. He said... We're going to go into the angelic realm here. There was a time when Michael and the devil were having a contest. So they were on opposite sides contending. Michael is disagreeing and they are fighting over the body of Moses. Now we don't have that recorded in the Old Testament. It's recorded right here. This is what happened after Moses died. God buried him. We do know that. God buried him and did not disclose the location. Do you know why I think? Because the devil wanted Moses' body. Don't know what he wanted to do with it. You can probably read the book of Revelation and get some idea. But the fact of the matter is, Satan always wants a body. He, he loves to have bodies to use for his purposes. And he wanted the body of Moses. It was valuable to him. And he's arguing and fighting with Michael to get it. And Michael the archangel is opposing him, but he never used railing. He didn't go to God and say, God, let me tell you this about the devil. Or He didn't go around railing on him. He said, you know what? Your authority is the Lord. Let him deal with you. The Lord rebuke thee. Michael himself did not take it upon him to set... He understood he was at, at an equal with the devil. He was not the devil's authority. That's the Lord. And when those under authority assume the role of authority and start railing on, on those that are in a higher position, even those that are evil. How many of us know Satan is evil? God makes that clear. We're not railing on him. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said he's a murderer, so we have permission to say so. But the fact of the matter is, here's Michael the archangel, and the comparison contrast is, you have Michael who is, as Peter puts it, greater in power and might than man, and yet he himself didn't use evil speaking as a tool to win the battle. You don't start slandering. You don't start, meaning you stay inside the realm of truth alone. Evil speaking is based in, in false accusation. False accusation. How many of you caught what I just said? I don't know why Satan wanted Moses' body. I don't know that Michael knew either. <laughs> he just knew he wanted it and he wasn't... They were conflicting over that in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a contention, if you would, even as we are contending for the faith. Yet, I believe what Jude is pointing out, anyone who has to use lies about others to defame them is not working for God. Michael did not bring railing, what's the next word? Accusation against Satan. He didn't accuse him of things in order to get an advantage. 
You know, if you and I have to use deceit, and by the way, you want to study the issue around your English Bible, there's a whole crowd that has to prop up their entire argument on half-truths. And if you and I have to, any position we take, have to prop up our position on maligning someone else. By the way, there are people on the other side of this issue I firmly disagree with, but it's not my job to go around and try to personally tear them down in order to win the argument. We stand on truth, and if our position can't stand on truth, let her fall. Amen? I believe we're saved by grace through faith. I don't have to defend that position by railing. I can expose someone who preaches this is preaching error. But I don't have to make start a social media page to tear down men in order to win that argument. There are men today who've made their entire ministry tearing down other men to prop themselves up. That is not of God. They're using railing in order to promote themselves and It's not the way of God. Michael the archangel didn't even do that, we're told. When contending with who? He wasn't contending with another human. He's contending with the devil himself. But even in that scenario, it was not right to use railing to accomplish his purpose. And so the comparison contrast made in verse 9, a conflict is examined, constraint exercised by Michael the archangel, and the conclusion that is expressed is that Evil speaking is not a tool that God put in our armor. You'll never find, put on the whole armor of God and find that, oh yes, and the one piece you're supposed to put on is evil speaking. <laughs> our loins are girt about with truth. We use the word of God, but not evil speaking. May I say this? I'll say it again. You study your Bible. This cannot mean that you never expose the provable error of another human being. It cannot mean that. What is Jude doing? He is exposing the provable error of another human. But the point was not to rail. These are facts. And so anyway, we'll move on from there. Finally, the corruption that's described in verse 10. So we've seen the characterization given in verse 8, comparison contrast made in verse 9, the corruption described in verse 10. He says, but these, these ungodly men who've crept in, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. What do they speak evil of? What do they slander against? What do they rail against? Things they don't know. The word know there means to understand or comprehend. You know what? They rail on God's way of salvation. You know why? They've never experienced it. They don't know it. They rail on portions of Scripture. They rail on people who believe the Scripture. Why? They don't know it. They, what is it they speak evil of? They speak evil of dignities, but they speak evil of things they know not. And I'll say this, eh, one of the greatest things that's said, I'll, I'll come back to this King James issue tonight, something that's greatly troubling to me is attitudes on the right hand and on the left. There are people over here on the right hand that have used all along railing and evil speaking in order to promote a position. Those on the far right side that believe some things about the Bible that the Bible doesn't say about itself. There's over on the left side if my defense is, the best defense I have is to mock, make fun of, and, and, and rail and slander people who hold a different position, something's not right. You know what? Often, the thing we are most angry about is something we don't understand because it exposes our ignorance. The pride is flared up here when they rail on the things or they speak evil against the things they know not. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3. I believe this verse best illustrates what's being talked about right here. 2 Peter chapter 3. There were those in Peter's day 
who already had a problem with the epistles of the Apostle Paul and were challenging whether it was Scripture. And you know why? Because they couldn't understand it. There's some things he said that were hard to understand, not impossible. But the Bible makes it clear their rejection of Scripture, their twisting of Scripture, their resting of it, W-R-E-S-T, was because they did not understand it. They were ignorant, unlearned, and unstable. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 16, as also in all his epistles, talking about Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned, people that know not what he's talking about, they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they also do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. I will be careful with what I do here, but I want to say this. The number one accusation leveled against this Bible that we use and hold and hold to is what? It's hard to understand. Now, let me, let me try to make, help us understand this issue tonight, okay? Because this is, this is an issue that's being fought in pulpits across America, not against, I pray, it's not to be against each other, but for the truth. And the fact is, there is an assault against this Bible, whether those would admit it or not, and here's the number one accusation. It's hard to understand. Then the analogy they'll make is it's just like it was when you got the King James Bible. The King James Bible was getting because the Bible was in Latin and Hebrew and Greek. That's what some will say it was in Latin, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was in the old tongue. And just like you couldn't understand it and we needed a Bible we could understand, even so it is today. Let's, let's check this. Let's fact check. Okay, that's a common phrase today. How many of you understand Hebrew and Greek are different languages than English? Completely different. Riley, if you start speaking to me in German tonight, I can get maybe two words. I don't know German. Give me a German Bible, I haven't got a clue what you're saying. But if you hand me an original King James in Gothic text, I can read it. You know why? It's the same language. It's not a different language. So to say... We can't understand the King James Bible just like in 1611 people couldn't understand Greek and Hebrew is a lie. It's not a different language. Do we get that tonight? Now, I'm not being unkind. I'm trying to say that is a false argument and there is a spiritual implication for departing from this book. I've watched it all my life. I've observed it all my life. It is the breeding ground of corruption to leave this Bible, the King James Bible, and I've watched it over and over and over, and if it weren't, why would there be such a concerted effort to pry it out of our hands? And I'm not telling you, this is where I said I want to be careful, that everyone that is not King James only is an apostate. I don't believe that. Some are deceived, some are confused, some have never been taught. I'm not telling you that everyone that does that's unsaved. I'm telling you the promotion of the assault on this Bible is led by apostates. Catholic publishing houses and false teachers and men who deny the deity of Jesus Christ have hated this old book for a long time and they still hate it and you and I need to stand with it. I don't know about you, evil men and seducers. It's not hard to understand. Amen? It is not an, it, is, it may be on their part an understandability issue and that's why they rail on it. They speak evil of the things they know not. And you and I need to beware. You, why in the world would you want to have somebody be less confident in their Bible? If you're a Christian, 
Why would you want to help another Christian doubt whether they can trust their Bible? That is nonsense. And I'm warning you here tonight, you find somebody that claims to be a servant of God telling you that God's words are lost back there in an original language. It's an amazing thing. They'll say something like this, we need a new translation because the King James is too hard to understand. You get the new translation that they give you and they say, you say, well, okay, these are the words of God. Well, the best we can. I mean, it's the best translation right now. So can I trust every word? Because when I use the King James, there were some verses there that aren't in my new one. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. That is because the inspiration and, and, and preservation is in the original languages. Which brings us back to point A. I don't understand those. I thought the point was to give me something I could understand. No, the point was to get you to say you don't have God's word now. You can't trust what's in your hand. <laughs> That's the point. And that is driven and fueled by apostates. Many innocent people have been sucked up in it. So don't misunderstand me tonight. But I'm telling you who the fuel behind it is. And it's not God. When you have to use lies to promote your argument, it's not of God. Amen. So the corruption described is starts with Jude speaks of their ignorance. He says they speak evil of things they know not. Ignorant not like they're stupid. That's not what I mean. Meaning they don't know the Lord. They don't understand the things of God because they've not they're not they're not saved. And that's the apostate. And so then he speaks of their ignorance. They speak evil of the things they know not. Then that tells us of their insolence. They are speaking evil of things they know not. Uh, Insolence has to do with arrogance and pride. That is what's underneath all of this. There's an arrogance to speak evil against uh, dignities and uh, to speak evil against the things of God. And so there's an ignorance and an insolence And the Bible says there's an irrationality. What does Jude and Peter compare these men to? These speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. The word brute means to be irrational. And you'll find when someone is steeped and committed to unbelief, the arguments that they give for why they believe what they believe is irrational. It doesn't add up. It's not based on truth. It's amazing their own arguments undo their own arguments. If you're, if you're believing lies, promoting lies, you, you refuse to operate by the principles you demand of others. Let me put it to you like this, and you've heard me say this, but how many of you know that much of what is popular today is it is wrong to ever judge another man and what he does? Now, you and I do know we're not each other's judge. The ultimate judgment comes before the Lord. But we have to judge things. We have to judge what is done, right or wrong. And the amazing thing, those who preach the loudest judge not are probably the most judgmental people among us today. By that I mean you are not allowed to judge anything but people who are judgmental. And then, fair game. (laughs) The only sin we judge is being judgmental. And don't misunderstand me. We need to have God's mind on how to judge right from wrong. He that is spiritual discerneth, judgeth is the word, judgeth all things. We are discerning between right and wrong, good and evil, knowing that we're not each other's judges, but we must judge between right and wrong. And so then the point would be here, these men are their own worst enemy. They spread their own infection, if you would, and that's our final point, their ignorance, their insolence, their irrationality. 
their infection, the Bible says they corrupt themselves. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally. So there is a level of knowledge. There is a natural comprehension that there's a God. They can read a Bible and gather a few facts. There's some things they know naturally, but not spiritually. There are just natural men, not spiritual men. The things they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things, they corrupt themselves. They use what knowledge they do have to end their own spiritual well-being. That word corrupt there deals with not only defilement, but defilement, it's like rust that eats up and corrodes to the point of disintegration. That's the idea of corruption here. They disintegrate themselves. Um, we could go through so many illustrations. Uh, I think one of you fellows the other night mentioned the Jim Jones movement. What a sad but perfect illustration of what he's talking about here. Men who what he did know, he used and destroyed his entire movement and himself, literally. His, what little knowledge he had, he twisted, perverted, set himself up as some kind of a prophet and then used what he had and taught people and they literally committed mass suicide. That is a sad but perfect illustration of what's talked about here. And so tonight, I understand it's a heavy subject, but friends, we live right here. We live right in the middle of a time where there are men who have enough natural knowledge about God to talk about Him and His ways, but it's all created and crafted on their own imagination and dreams, not on the Word of God. They defile the flesh, despise dominions, speak evil of dignities, and then they, they speak evil against those things they know not. And you know what? We need to stand with God's Word, stand against error, because we love the Lord, and loving the Lord and obeying Him is the best way to love people. Amen? And so tonight, may we beware and study this out. Be able to identify. Ah, some are extreme examples. Some are not so extreme. There are some very clever. And may I say this? I want to say it again. By the time we get to the end of Jude, there's always people who have come under the influence of these kind of folk. There are those who've been defiled by these kind of folk that need to be rescued. Amen? I don't find in my Bible that there's a rescue for the apostate. I don't find that. I do find, I do find there's a rescue from those who've been under their influence. So we're not against rescuing people, but we don't rescue people by being conciliatory with sin and with, with false doctrine. We rescue others by being faithful to the faith. Amen. Earnestly contending for the faith. Mm-hmm.